0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 312 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and this time around I am going solo. So my apologies in advance for that. It's a jam-packed schedule for me today, so I have to go solo because it's only a short recording window that I have. Hopefully that won't bother too many of you. And I plan to be joined by a co host again on Tuesday evening, but with the afternoon game, and I'll probably have a rant about that later on, uh, a schedule quirk, let's just say. So I wanted to have the podcast up for everybody to listen to as fast as possible with the game also arriving on Tuesday. So here we go. I'm used to hosting my Hawk show. By myself, so uh, not too much worries there, but I will hopefully try to keep things clear and concise and uh, we'll roll through this thing. But the Atlanta Braves get a 3 0 victory. They now have a stranglehold on the series at 2 1 against the Brewers. Obviously, nothing is assured at this point in time, but a big win for Atlanta between Ian Anderson's heroics in this game and, of course, Jock Peterson, the biggest swing of the game by a wide margin to lead the Braves to another pitching first win, but still one that featured uh, at least one big swing. So we'll dive into this as we always do on this podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. We'll kind of go through this uh, game, all the nuts and bolts, as well as some big picture takeaways to a uh, breakdown from this contest. So we'll dive in here at the outset. Um, Ian Anderson has kind of famously struggled in the first inning in his career. Um, so that was a little bit of a worry. Obviously, in a one-game sample size, anything can happen, but he does have a career 5.70 ERA in the first inning. So getting through that inning felt big in this spot. He was juiced up for sure. He missed high a few times in that inning and was throwing pretty hard by his standards. Did have some swing misses, though, and the changeup was working for Ian throughout this game. But he allowed a one-out single in the first and nothing else to speak of. And honestly, when you go through the stats... Once he gets past that inning in the first, um, every other inning from the second to the sixth, he has an rate of 3.68 or lower, and most of these innings are in the twos or even the ones. And basically, once he settles in, he's usually pretty lights out until he tires, until the third time through, through the order concept comes through, etc. So that kind of happened in this game. He looked pretty good early on and set the tone pretty early for this Braves team. Uh, in the first inning for the offense, only a seven-pitch inning for Freddie Peralta, who looked pretty good for the Brewers. He struck out Jorge Soler, as well as uh, getting Freddie Freeman and Ozzy Albis to retire on three combined pitches. Um, the second inning, though, brought some more drama to the table. Um, not for the defense though Ian Anderson was awesome in the second inning a 1 2 3 inning in harmless fashion there was one bit of intrigue when Chipper Jones who was in the stands dropped a foul pop up which everyone in the entire universe decided to tweet about at the same time kind of a funny one there for Chipper who dropped that he seemed to own it and was laughing throughout that throughout the uh, sidebar of that but other than that a pretty good um, run prevention half inning for the Braves in the second inning but there was some drama, and honestly, it's a great thing for all parties involved that this ended up not mattering for the Braves. I'll say that now. Um, I'm glad this will not be discussed for all time. Um, but Adam Duval had a rough one in the second inning. So Austin Riley leads it off with a leadoff single. Had uh, actually, it was actually an infield single. Got pretty lucky with where he put it with uh, with the shift on, though. It worked out pretty well. And then Duval singles to left. It's first and second with nobody out. Eddie Rosario flies out deep enough to get to Riley to third with one out. So it's first and third with one out. And Riley is uh, not the fastest guy in the world, but he can, he can run a little bit at third base. So, uh, Duvall, though, inexplicably gets thrown out at second before Riley crosses the plate on a Travis Darno would have been a sacrifice fly. It should have been. Everyone assumed off the bat. It was very clear that Christian Yelich in left field assumed it was going to be a sack fly that allowed a run with the Braves ahead. But... Jelic throws to second base, and Duvall tags up and goes to second. Now, that in itself is not completely insane. It's an aggressive play, but uh, trying to get to second base there, not not the craziest thing in the world. Now, the craziest thing though, and honestly the inexcusable part of this, is actually going full speed, seeing that you're out. And honestly, this throw was from from left field. So, if you're running from first base to second base, you can see that the throw is coming from left field. That's the direction you are facing. Um, And Duvall... Fly tries to slide in. He was out pretty clearly, and because of how things happen, he, the tag, beat um Riley to the plate. So essentially, if he's tagged out at second base as Duvall was before Riley crosses, that's not a run, and that's what happened here. Um, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you will know that we are a pro Adam Duvall podcast. I like Adam Duvall. I think he's been underrated the entire time. We were defending him back in the day when he had the bad start in Atlanta when people wanted him to be released. I didn't like that they non-tendered him and kind of made fun of that. He's been awesome this year in in limited time after coming back to the Braves, and his, his defense is good, all that stuff. We like Adam Duvall on this podcast. This is an absolutely inexcusable play. A massive mistake, a wild mistake. And honestly, like I said before, it wasn't just tagging and going to second base. He could have just stopped. Right there. We've seen this play a hundred times. If you watch baseball enough, you've seen this play. A guy gets caught in a rundown between first and second base, in part to make sure that a run crosses the plate. And in a 0 0 game, and in this run prevention environment where both these teams have been doing a good job pitching and playing defense in this series. You just have to know what you're doing there. And Duvall, being a veteran, I just couldn't believe that it happened. Um, I was listening to this on the radio, actually, the first time through before I went back and uh, watched the game quickly on DVR after it was over. But the live radio call, Joe Simpson was just absolutely appalled. And I think he was correct. Watching the play, there's just no reason why he would have done what he did in that spot. He could have stopped and gotten to the rundown. Yes, that still would have been bad. You give away an out there if you're Adam Duvall. In In that point in time, that would have been a big out. But... The, again, the throw's coming from left field. You can see the play happening, and just kind of a crazy mistake to make in that spot. The run should have scored at a bare minimum. Um, and honestly, shades of like the Swanson-Riley base running mess up in Game 7 last year in the LCS. Also, Marcelo Zuna leaving early from third base in Game 5 in the LCS last year. And then, of course, if you're old like I am, Lonnie Smith was a, a name that kind of made the rounds a little bit. Um, as I said, it's a good thing the Braves won this game because if they didn't win this game, Adam Duvall would have been a... Big topic of conversation. Uh, I'm hoping now for his sake, that's not going to be the case. And, uh, you know, he avoids infamy in that way. But I had to talk about it a little bit on the podcast because it was a wild mistake from a guy who I uh, who I like and is usually very solid. Okay, from there, we'll pick, up, pick it up uh, more quickly from the second, uh, beyond the second inning. The third inning was pretty quiet. Uh, Dansby had a pretty, uh, pretty much a rocket that was a line out in the third. But Anderson went one, two, three, and that was honestly a big response in my mind, after the Duval blunder, it could have spiraled a little bit, but Ian was mentally tough. Goes out there, mows him down in short order. The fourth inning was pretty quiet as well, um, striking out the side for Anderson. He, he had been really dialed up at that point in time. Through four innings, he had 6Ks and two, and two hits. Uh, no walks, just kind of cruising along. Um, with two outs... In the bottom of the fourth, Duval again, there's that man, hit a 383-foot fly ball that was almost caught by Lorenzo Cain at the wall. In fact, he had it in his glove until he crashed back to the ground and then it came out. He was down for a long time, actually stayed in the game. I was surprised by that. He That was a tough fall by Lorenzo Cain. It ended up being a triple for Duval. Now, granted, it was two outs, so not like a disaster of, it, of a play that to not score there, but Duval gets the third, and Rosario strikes it out in the, the inning. So, at that point, the Braves were 1-for-13, with Roger's scoring position in the series. that's uh, That was helped in a moment, but uh, it felt frustrating in that moment to, be, to have to be 0-0, both between the Duvall mess-up in the first inning and then, of course, having a guy on third base in the fourth. But, honestly, spoiler alert, the fifth inning of this game was the biggest swing inning of the entire contest, both for the Brewers' offense— and then for the Braves offense. Before we get to that, though, and everything else from today's game and looking ahead to tomorrow and beyond, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, we'll dive back in here to the fifth inning and in beyond. And as I said before the break, the fifth inning was the big swing on both sides. Uh, Anderson hits Urias with a pitch to win off the inning. It barely skimmed him. Honestly, it did like hit him on the uh, on first blush, but ends up being a hit by pitch. That puts a man on base, and then they, he goes to a full count on Omar DeVias, who doubles down the left field line. Actually, a pretty good play, I thought, by Eddie Rosario, who's not known for his defense, to stop that from being a run-scoring play in the left field corner. But still, second and third, with nobody out, and the first trouble, real trouble of the day for Ian. Um... The next play was huge. Dansby Swanson cuts off a 101-mile-an-hour ground ball by Lorenzo Cain that had a 400 expected batting average. So not like a completely ridiculous play by Dansby, but a great play still. He is so good defensively and uh, able to look back the runner from third base and throw to first for an out with no damage. So still second and third, one out, but one out is big in that spot, particularly when it's still 0-0. From there, it's the pitcher spot, and the Brewers decide to hit for Freddy Peralta. In my mind, that's the right call. If you're being objective, and I try to be objective whenever possible on this podcast, if I'm a fan of the Brewers, I'm happy that he'd hit for him in that spot, and if I'm a fan, a fan of the Braves, I wanted them to not hit for him. Even with Peralta pitching very well, That's the, given that neither team can really score right now, a, a spot where the pitcher is not an automatic out, but pitchers are bad at hitting, as everybody knows, and you bring in Vogelbach, it gives you a pretty good chance to at least get one across if you're the Brewers and give yourself a lead. Um, and honestly, I thought the Braves should at least consider going to A.J. Minter in that spot. Now, it wasn't clear, I don't think, in my mind. It was fairly early. It's still the fifth inning. And for the most part, Ian was good in this game, aside from the Narvaez double and the uh, the hard-hit ground ball by Kane moments before that. But you could say, with a straight face, that he was maybe not looking quite as good as he had been previously in this inning. Um, But it was fairly early on, and the big thing is that Vogelbach, who hit for the Brewers, absolutely smashes right-handed pitching. We talked about him earlier on in the series where there was this like um, pinch hitting slash bullpen management back and forth where he actually ended up getting announced as a pinch hitter and then not actually hitting. This time around, um, Snicker decides to stay with Anderson in this spot and Vogelbach is a good matchup against Anderson, honestly. But, a ground ball to Riley who came home and creates a rundown for the second out of the game, that was a huge play and also, the runner at second base stays put, which which is also a positive. So, Back-to-back ground balls to good positions and uh, pretty fortunate in some ways. And, in fact, the last thing was even more fortunate. Um, Lorenzo Cain hits a 100-mile-an-hour rope with two outs. They had a 700 expected expected batting average by StatCast, but he hits it right at Freddie Freeman, who catches it, and that ends the inning. Uh, That was huge. Obviously, the the Braves are familiar with this, too. You don't automatically score when you have second and third and no outs. The Braves have had had some uh, issues with that in the recent past. As well, but Milwaukee is favored to score a, at least one run in that spot, and they didn't score any runs. That was huge, uh, both for Anderson and for the defense between Swanson and Riley and Darno and Freeman, all contributing to that. Um, I think Swanson in particular with the biggest play of that, and then Freddie just kind of being sure-handed at first base, but a, a massive swing there. And um, yeah, all that said, like. A good decision-making tree from Snicker to go with Anderson. It wasn't like a 100% decision, but I thought it was just fine to stay with him in that spot, and they navigate that beautifully. Then, in the bottom half of the inning, some fireworks immediately from Atlanta. Opposite field singles from both Darnot and Swanson to lead off the inning. And then, at that point in time, you just have to hit for Anderson, even if you don't want to. And I'm sure they probably didn't love that in that spot. But with nobody out first and second, and Anderson not quite at his full strength at that point, after five innings and some grueling stuff in the fifth, you have to hit for him. And honestly, I think I probably would have hit for Anderson no matter the situation in that spot. But it's kind of automatic when there's two when there's two runners on. So they, they did, ended up doing that. Jock Peterson shoals the plate. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know by now. But if you don't, Jock Peterson strokes a 402 foot home run. It was 104 miles an hour off the bat, and with one swing, it is three nothing. And that was the biggest single swing of the entire series to this point. Obviously, you could argue for the Teles home run in Game 1 if you wanted to. But this is a massive, massive play by Peterson. And uh, hilariously, there was this whole debate about whether Peterson should start this game. He didn't start it, but he is now 3-for-3 three three in the series with two home runs. That'll work off your bench. If you can just guarantee that every time, you'll take it from Jock Peterson. Uh, some stats here on Jock, by the way. He's only the fifth player in baseball history to have multiple pinch hit home runs in the playoffs in their entire career, and he did it in the exact same series. The only three guys ever to do that, um, there's only, I should say there have only been three guys ever to do that, and this is the first time that this has been done, two pinch hit home runs in, in a single series in the playoffs since 1975. And by the way, it's game three. <laughs> so some wild stuff from Jock. The celebration was epic. Uh, there were multiple camera angles of his celebration after, right off the bat. He knew it was gone off the bat. That was fun. Uh, he is a fun guy. You know, post-game, same kind of thing. So energe- energetic. And at that point, given where we are, the run environment with, with the Braves in the series, being at 3-0, yes, there are four innings to play, but you're still in a great spot there against the Brewers offense. That's not exactly lighting the world on fire. So from there, it was kind of breezy for a few innings. Uh, J- J- Jesse Chavez comes in in the sixth. Looked great, actually, threw a 1-2-3 inning on eight pitches. And just to be clear before I forget to say this, Anderson was great in this game. Uh, he came out after five innings, but honestly, all three starters, Morton had the one mistake, um, but even then, pitched very well. Free was obviously awesome on Saturday. And then Anderson comes in this game and just mows him down. Five innings, three hits, no walks, six strikeouts. I like, I think I probably got a little bit lucky in the fifth inning to not lot a single run, but still had change up working all day long. Pitched fantastically, and this is crazy, but Ian Anderson has a career, Postseason ERA in five starts of 0.76. That will do it. A fantastic effort from Ian in this spot. Offensively, not, not much to speak of in the sixth or the seventh inning. Matzik pitched the seventh. Was not like totally lights out by his standards, but totally fine as well. Gave up a leadoff double, but got out of it unscathed. Good to see that. Luke Jackson gave up a leadoff walk actually in the eighth, which is not what you want to see at that, at that point in time. And then a single by Adamas, but... Another play by Dansby Swanson, who was great defensively in this game. A double play where he picks up the grounder, runs the second on his own, flips to first, and they're out of the inning. And that's a prime Luke Jackson experience with a ground ball there in a big spot. And then finally, in the top of the ninth, Will Smith, of course. No one's comfortable, as always. But 3-0, that's a good cushion for him to have. And by the way, the same exact score as it was on Saturday when he came in the game. Uh, The first batter was Austin Rondon making a leaping grab to save a double by Garcia. That was actually a 900 <laughs> expecting bat- expected batting average by StatCast. 104 miles an hour. Uh, Austin Riley, a good athletic play. And uh, Smith gets lucky on that one. But then strikes out Eskimo and four pitches. And then from there, it's pretty breezy. So a good Will Smith game. A good bullpen game overall. Obviously, this is a combined shutout. But four innings from the bullpen, combined stuff. And again, the entire game was the fifth inning. The Brewers go scoreless. Second and third, no outs. The Braves get the big home run from Jock Peterson. And that is that. Uh, Milwaukee has now not scored in the last 19 innings. That's a lot. Um, And they have yet to score in the first six innings in the entire series. They are 0-16 for with runners in scoring position in the LDS. The Braves have not been great either. I think they only have two hits in that spot as well, but they had the only two hits with scoring position runners in this series, and that has been a big difference in the entire makeup of the series. Final stat on today's game. The Braves now have six shutouts as a team. In the playoffs in the last two seasons, the rest of Major League Baseball has five combined shutouts. If you missed this last year, or maybe don't remember it too much, the Braves were just ridiculous pitching-wise early in the playoffs, in the extended playoffs last year, and uh, that's carried over. Obviously, you cannot ask for anything more than what the Braves have been able to get from Charlie Morton, Max Freed, and not Anderson, plus the bullpen has been very, very good in its own right. Um, before we get to the Game 4 setup, which is coming, I promise, in a second... One quick rant, um, I know there was some disagreement on this, I, I, really hate that this game happened at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, it did seem like it was a full ballpark at Truist, which is so, credit to everybody there, um, it's pretty unfathomable to me though, in a 2021 that we're still playing 1 o'clock afternoon games, it's my opinion, obviously, I know it was a holiday, but Columbus Day is not a uh, holiday where everyone gets off work, I know there were some banks closed and that kind of stuff, but I was working today, and many people were, uh, I think it's really kind of stems from their this long time belief that you just can't have games overlap on the schedule, but that's kind of crazy, honestly. In this modern environment, um, like no other sports do this. Um, the NBA doesn't do that when they have multiple games; they they stagger them in the evening. The NCAA tournament, famously on the first weekend, goes wall to wall because they have so many games and it's almost a national holiday. But if you notice. The second weekend, they still play games on Thursday and Friday, and they have to go against each other in the evening because they're not crazy enough to schedule games at one o'clock in the afternoon. That doesn't make any sense. At any rate, I won't keep going on this forever, but I don't even think the four o'clock start times are a good idea on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, I can get those a little bit more, but still, you have West Coast fans like our own Scott Coleman who was watching this entire series in the afternoon. It just kind of—it's crazy to me. This is still happening. I understand there's arguments on all sides. But uh, I would say in 2021, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to not stagger these games. Like for instance, you could just pretty, pretty easily go like 5, 6 30, 8, and 9.30 Eastern and do the same thing. You still get a stagger. There's no like late game stuff happening against each other. All that fun stuff just makes me angry as someone who uh, identifies with people that have to be in the office because I still do. And by the way, this is the craziest thing. Even if you disagree with me on the start time of this game, I will make one more point. Before the game today, the start time for Game 3 was not fully set until long after midnight today on the East Coast. That is completely absurd. It's pretty strange to have a situation, but because of the Astros-White Sox game, there was a contingency plan. If Houston had won, the Braves game was going to be moved back to 4:07, which obviously would have been a little bit better. But it's not great at a bare minimum to have the players and coaches and manager going to bed last night, not knowing what time the game is today. Um, they have to do some game prep. They can't just arrive at the stadium at one o'clock. These guys are getting there early in the morning for a one o'clock game. And Snicker even said on the record, into a microphone on Monday afternoon, or I guess Monday morning, was uh, they had to prep for both, and that was not ideal. For that, they, they didn't love that. Let's just say. And then you throw in like people that no one ever thinks about, like the stadium staff and the ushers and people selling popcorn, and they don't they don't have money and they don't have the status to be able to just do whatever they want to do. And now their whole lives are put on hold for three hours difference. Until, again, after midnight. Are you supposed to stay up until that? I guess you have to. I mean, I did, but it was not... That's not something that everybody can do. So, kind of a weird thing. It's just very silly. I wish Major League Baseball would exercise some common sense when talking about, like, the game of baseball. But alas, here we are, and the Braves get the win. So, I had to do the rant. Save save the rant for the end, but I had to deliver it on some level. Okay. As we speak here... Uh, As I'm recording this a little bit earlier in the evening on Monday, the Braves have not announced their starting pitcher for Game 4. They also, the Brewers have also not done that. Although Craig Council and the Brewers did say that Corbin Burns, their Cy Young candidate, is not going to be an option for them on short rest in Game 4. That is interesting to me because they're down in the series. You know, a lot of the questions that we got on the podcast about the Braves and potentially using Charlie Morton in Game 4 were, you know, what if the Braves were down 2-1? to The Brewers are down in the series and playing on the road for their entire life, and they're not throwing Corbin Burns, who is younger than Charlie Morton, by a lot. Um, Honestly, this is a guess. I am not reporting this by any means. I would be surprised if they were to start Charlie Morton in Game 4. Now, when you're listening to this right now, I might already be wrong, so I'll, I'll accept that. I would be not shocked. I'd be surprised if they threw Morton on three days rest with the lead in the series. Um, part of that is that Morton is pretty old. He's not started on short rest in a long time, uh, because of age and just philosophies and all, all that kind of stuff. Plus I just, don't, as I said, I think I said it before on the podcast, I don't, I don't know what the Braves actually think of that option, both like what they think Morton would look like on three days rest. They have also had a lot of these bullpen games the last like month of the season with your Jesse Chavez, drew smiley. They have, you on the roster. It would surprise me. It wouldn't shock me, but it would surprise me. Um, Sicker did say that every option is on the table in his press conference after the game. That's worth noting as well. But uh, it won't be Burns, apparently, for Milwaukee. Um, and obviously, they have to get through nine innings. Uh, but you do have two guys in Enoa and Smiley who have been starters for you this season. You also have Chavez, who's been your opener for the most part in the last month of the season. And because of the... Way this is gone, honestly, with the off day that's already happened in the series. Plus, you ha- you had some great starting pitching. They've not had to go into their bullpen very deep. You know, clearly they don't want to have to throw their deep bullpen guys in the series. But it's really, you know, Chavez pitched today. But other than that, it's been it's been Jackson, it's been Matzik, it's been Smith, and uh, you know, having a fresh set of arms for you. You know Chavez pitched today, but you have you have your Jacob Webb types, you have your depth guys, you have your Dylan Lee if You want to you know use lefty, all that stuff. They have some depth for uh, for Game Four. So if I had to make a prediction, I would say it'll be a bullpen game, whether it be started by Enoa or Smiley or Chavez. But some depth you're hoping to get multiple innings from guys like Enoa and maybe Smiley in this game, but. All's on the table. Obviously, you don't want to have to go back to Milwaukee. That is sort of goes without saying. But the fact that Milwaukee kind of revealed that it's not going to be Burns means they're going to be in the same spot. They're not going to be having this dominant guy at the top of the lineup. It might be a, a double bullpen game in Game 4. So we don't know the odds right now. I think Vegas is going to kind of wait this one out to see who's going to start and what the plans are going to be in this spot. But the one thing I can pass along to you is 538, our friends over there, have – Updated their odds as I'm talking now. I had the Braves as a 78% chance to win the series. And Fangraphs has a 73.7% chance to win the series. So it goes without saying, the Braves are not a favorite in the series. Now, if you lose Game 4, which is not necessarily what anybody wants... You can pretty confidently say it'll either be Morton or Freed. I would guess it'll be Morton if he doesn't pitch on Game 4. But you will have a full rest starter in Game 5 of either Morton or Freed. That's a very nice place to be. Now, on the flip side, Milwaukee would have a full rest Corbin Burns because they have Tuesday off, I'm sorry, uh, Wednesday off no matter what. So I think the Braves probably will be the betting underdog in a Game 5, given that it's in Milwaukee and you'll be pitching against Corbin Burns. But that's winnable. Um, And part of the reason why the Rays are big favorites to win the series right now in the projections is that they have two games to win one. Obviously, though, you want to get it done in your home ballpark, in game four, on Tuesday afternoon, and we'll see what happens at that point in time. So a lot of fun to be had at the ballpark, obviously, today, or if you were at home watching this game, or on the radio like I was for most of the way, or on Twitter, or game day, or however you enjoyed it in this uh, Monday afternoon, hopefully uh, that's one to remember. Lots of memorable plays between the Jock home run, of course, and Anderson, and uh, unfortunately, the Adam All play, which was uh, kind of a disaster. Alas, though, um, a lot to be excited about for the Braves in this spot. I guess, as I said at the top of the podcast, my plan is to have a co-host back after the game on Tuesday at some point. It might be later in the evening. Um, won't be probably right after the game is over, but it will be at some point at, after that. And hopefully, we're talking about the NLCS at that point and not Game 5. But regardless, we'll be here. Please subscribe to the podcast. I've said this all the time in sort of a joking fashion. I am actually serious along along, the, along these lines. It actually does help the podcast if you download all episodes and uh, subscribe on multiple accounts and unsubscribe, resubscribe, Get creative to support the podcast, whether it be downloads or extra plays, five-star reviews, ratings... All that fun stuff. I really do appreciate your creativity and all of your support. We don't we don't have like a Patreon or anything like that. It's definitely a free podcast. But if you have a couple minutes to just kind of click around on old podcasts, I won't be upset with you. I promise. Please follow me if you'd like to on the Twitter machine at BT Roland. Follow the show at talking shop. As well as again, please subscribe because if you if you don't like the sound of my voice, we also have other podcasts. We have the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is the minor league side of things with Eric and friends. Also, we have the Daily Hammer, which you probably heard yesterday. Sean Coleman's done a great job for us this year on the daily hammer it's gonna be a staple for us at this point in time Um, basically filling in the gaps doing three four five shows per week Um, filling it in a little bit short form but having something in your podcast feed each and every day is the the goal for us at least during the week and Sean's done a great job with that so please subscribe to the podcast you get free podcasts for the price of zero dollars and thank you as always for listening everybody we'll see you after the game on Tuesday